we can see from the words of Jesus that, that love is actually the greatest thing that we can actually be doing. So no matter where I am in the world, I will never be gone from my family longer than seven days and I will come home for at least 24 hours so that I can be with my family for at least 24 hours to be like, I am here, I am trying my best to do everything possible to be with you. And that's, sadly, today is my wife's birthday. She allowed me to be here, so it's her gift to you. I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, no, do it. Um, honestly, I'm a bit of a jerk, so she was probably like, yeah, a whole day without my husband. That, that'll be fantastic. That's exactly what I wanted for my birthday. Thanks, wife. And I go home, and then I'll go to Colorado, and I'll come home for about a, l- a little bit less than 24 hours, and then I'll go to L.A., But I want to have that time because I want to invest into my family because I feel like oftentimes we can get so caught up in the race, so caught up in everything that it is that we're doing that we forget about what's really important until it's too late. If you sit with old people, one of the things that they constantly say is that they have regret. Very rarely do you sit with someone who's really old and you ask them, what do you wish you would have done more in your life? And they look at you and say, hmm, money. You ever notice that when someone is dying and, 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 and you ask them, hey, what is it that you want in these last few moments? Nobody ever says, you know what, since you're asking, if you could just pull my cars, because I own three cars, and can you just pull them outside my window, and would you mind going to the bay and getting my yacht and just pull it up j- just so I can, and all of, I have nine televisions in my house. Can you get my TVs? You know, one of them is 80 inches. This is... This is not my real life. You really, okay. And just land my G6 outside so I can just gaze upon all of the things that I've acquired in my life. No one says that when they're about to die. What do they always say? I just want to sit with who? My family. And it's so sad that oftentimes it takes moments of death or the fear of death to pull us back into that moment of what's really important. Don't wait until it's too late. Not that I'm a basketball fan, but when I was sitting in a cafe not too long ago and I saw that Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash, I just thought, dude, that guy has millions of dollars that he will never spend. He, He lived probably the safest life that you can possibly live. Like he wasn't even driving in traffic. He was in a helicopter. And it's, it can be that quick. Rest is oftentimes something that we don't really think about, we don't think is spiritual, and yet I want to try to convince you that it's one of the most spiritual things you can do. So where do we start? Let's, let's start at the beginning. Genesis 2.2. 2. Here God is creating the entire universe. He's creating everything that we see. And all of a sudden on the sixth day, what does he make? Mankind, Right? And all of a sudden, uh, we, we don't know exactly how this worked out, but I find it fascinating, not just what the Bible says, but also what the Bible doesn't say. Because all of a sudden, Adam opens his eyes, <laughs> and he looks at God, and all of a sudden, he throws him da- himself down in worship. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that he threw himself down in worship. In fact, the, ter- the term worship isn't even used until way into the Bible for the worst father and son camping trip in human history, you know? What do you, what do you, what's the knife for, son? Should have cleaned your room, you know what I'm saying? 
And so it's interesting that the word worship isn't used because I don't know how much church you've had in your life, but I grew up thinking that basically heaven is the longest worship time ever. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's all we're going to do all day is just kind of sing and to God. It's like, and he, he'll just sit there and be like, I've already heard this one. You know, like, it's, we're going to be chubby angels with, with harps. I've, I'm working on the chubby right now. That's... I've got that part down. I just need the rest of it. But that's not what it says. And what is interesting is the seventh day is what? Rest, which I find interesting. So it, it wasn't that mankind opened up our eyes, looked at God, and he's like, worship me. He didn't look at, look at us and say, serve me. We were literally created to dwell with God. We opened up our eyes, <laughs> and God looked at us and said, hey, do you want to hang out? Let's hang out. You want to hang out? Let's hang out. And then it said in Genesis 2-2 that God rest. He rested, which is interesting to me. Because for us to think that we don't need rest makes us think that we're greater than God. Because even God rested. And we're like, I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm greater than God. He might need rest for making the universe, but I got it. Oh my gosh, I got a hiccup going. I feel like I should be singing some Justin Bieber. So we were created interest. Even God rests. He didn't say, worship me. He said, I want to hang out with you. I have three kids. I've got some uh, pictures of them in the back. Feel free to take some of the stuff that's back there. I remember when my first son was born. His name is Kai. And I was super excited because my, work, my wife and I, we work so hard. My wife is a co-founder of something called the Freedom Project. We help rescue people out of, of um, tra human trafficking situations in Eastern Europe. She makes high-end baby fashion, designer original stuff to raise money to basically help girls in Eastern Europe. And so we work really, really hard. And all of a sudden, one day I had this baby. I'm like, finally, someone to help out around the house, you know? And so I took that child and we went home and I put him on the floor in the kitchen and I looked at him and I said, all right, your mom and I are going to leave for about nine hours. When we come back, I want this kitchen cleaned top to bottom. I want you to empty the dishwasher. You make sure you work real hard. And I came back eight hours later and you know what? My baby did nothing. Didn't even clean. In fact, he peed on the floor. That's what he did. Is that... Is that what you think I did when I brought my son home from, from the hospital? Some of you are like, I don't know, mister. You seem really weird. No. I brought my kid home, and he never said a single time that he loved me because he couldn't talk. I don't, I'm not even sure he could focus on my face. That's why we do that whole baby thing. Hi. Oh. Uh. I think the world would be a better place if we treated everyone we meet like a, like a baby, like on the street, like, Hi. <laughs> And I loved him. He never did anything for me. He never said anything. And I've never loved something more than I loved my child. I didn't think that love like that even could exist. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at my child and it's doing nothing but causing me pain. All of a sudden, I'm not sleeping anymore. I'm like, sleep? What's that? <laughs> Single people, like, just living the dream, you know? I'm so tired. And you just want to be like, Shh, I'm going to punch you in the face. Single people, when they leave the house, they're like, hey, do you want to go out tonight? Let's go out. And they just go out, you know. 
people with kids. It's like, hey, do you want to go out? Okay, get the shoes. All right, get the bag. Let's get the bag. Where, do you have the diapers? I have the diapers. Where's the shoes? They were just up. They're on top of the fridge. How'd they get on top of the fridge? You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. My son never said one time that he loved me until later on. Never did anything around the house until later on. And I loved him. And I think, man, that's how it is. You don't have to do anything for him. The success in your life, how hard you work, he's not interested. God died for you, not what you'll do. He died for you, not what you do. And we get so caught up in what we think we should be doing all the time. Do you read your Bible enough? Do you pray enough? Do you enough, 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 enough? He's bigger than that. The moment that you feel like you have to do that stuff, he already doesn't care that you're doing it. You can fall into religion instead of relationship with God real easy in an environment like this. And he never wanted it to just be religion. He, all, he always wanted the relationship. And we go into Psalms 23, perhaps one of the most famous psalms of all time. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. That's how you have to read the Bible, I think, right? It's old English. I shall not want. I find that, that line interesting. I shall not. This idea that it's a command to his own soul. Do you guys know the verse, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Say no. Okay, one more time. I'm giving you the. Do you know the verse, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Say no. No, no, that's, that was weak. Come on, you got. I'm the one with the mic. What? No, okay. Do you know why you don't know that verse? Because it's not a verse in the Bible. It's not a verse in the Bible. Haven't you heard that verse your whole life? It's part of the verse. It's only half of it. It's the part after the comma. Like, you can go back and read it for yourself. It's Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, we know that part, but we don't know the first part because we don't... I'm not saying money is evil... I'm saying the love of money. Somehow it can, consumes our life. And then what ends up happening is we keep thinking that we're doing it for noble causes. I'm doing it for my family. Meanwhile, they would rather have you playing with them on the floor. My dad was so busy starting this organization that oftentimes in my life, I would come out of my room and be like, hey, dad, you, you want to play? And he'd be like, no, I've got important meetings to go to. Am I... My child heart was broken all the time because of how much time he spent doing all of this other stuff. And instead of taking all, and I've talked to my dad about this, and we're, we're good. So don't, don't worry, we've bonded. <laughs> but there's so many people that have so much hurt and angst from their childhood. What if God wants you to take all of that pain and turn it into your power? What if it becomes your compass? What if every desire you had when you were a kid, now that you have kids, for the ones that have kids here, what if you get to be the answers to your own prayers? What if all of the desires of, man, I wish my parents would just come into my room and just sit with me or just play with me for five minutes, and that's what I do now. Like, my son is out in our backyard because I live in Oregon. We have yards, huh? And trees, He's in the backyard battling some mythical dragon, and I go out there as the ogre and attack him. And he just lights up. My daughter's playing with her dollhouse, and I come cl 
climbing in there, playing with her little dolls. And in that moment, I am becoming the answer to my own prayer as a child. What if all of that pain from your childhood will never go away because God wants it to remain in your heart so that you know how to dad, how to mom, how to love your kids best? You get a chance, those that are parents in this room, you get a chance to be the answer to your own prayers, to your own pain. So often in our lives, we keep waiting for God to do the miracle. We keep asking God for for him to do miracles in our city and in our lives. But what if, just what if God is actually waiting for you to become the miracle? What if you're supposed to become the miracle? Instead of spending all of our time waiting for the world to change, how about you change your own inner world first? And oftentimes that starts with us having the capacity because we are learning to rest. We're trying to be like his nature and character. We're trying to be like God. And even God rested on the seventh day. Not only that, but it's a command. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth one. If they're in order of importance, number one, God. Number two, God. Number three, no idols. Whoa. Number four, and if, and if you look at it in context, it's amazing to me because it gets a whole bunch of verses, like four verses to explain the importance of rest. Murder, adultery, and stealing get one verse. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Meanwhile, it gets to rest and it's like, oh, blah, 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 blah trying to get across to us, look, God knows our human condition and he knew, he knew that we were going to become this generation, these kinds of people that think it's more spiritual or somehow it's better for us to burn the candle at both ends. Psalms 23, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pasture. He leads me besides calm waters. I know, I know you've seen this in your grandmother's house, probably, in some ugly painting. It took me years before I realized that is not a verse, that is a blessing. It's a rebuke. Listen to it. He makes me lay down. He makes me. It doesn't say, he leaves me beside the still, and he goes, if you want to, his eyes right here. No, he leads you there, but then he's like, Get down! Down! He forces you into it. Why? Because he knows that it's for your good. The world should be looking at us and seeing that our lives are different. And yet we oftentimes live just like the world. We live just like them. And I just think, why, why are we trying to reach the world when we're just like the world? They should be looking at our lives and being like, wow. I wish I was one of those Christians, man. They seem happy all the time. But oftentimes we have to fake happy, you know? Coming from a long week, and then we come up the elevator, and then we come in the church, and the door opens. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Everybody good. Are you good? We're good. I'm so good. Or you're fighting with your wife on the way. I tell you what to do. Hi.
And we think that that's more important. But we need the rest. But we can't rest until we find true peace. Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30. Take my yoke upon you. We read it. Have you ever seen a yoke? Not of an egg, like a yoke, like a, for the oxen. Any farmers here? Any? Nobody's yoking on the weekend. Nobody? A yoke actually has, it's built for two. So when Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you, he's actually saying, I, I'm with you. You're, I never expect you to pull anything that I ain't pulling myself. God has called us to a ministry of obedience, not success. And we have, we live within that world. But the saddest thing is we're, tr- we're constantly trying to do stuff that he's not even involved with. And then we get tired. Why? Because he's not in that journey with us. What part of the journey are you trying to do on your own? And so we go through the week thinking that we have to, as Christians, have it all together. Do you know who had bad days? Jesus had bad days. One day was so bad he sweated blood. One day was so bad he cried. Jesus wept, one of the shortest verses in the whole Bible. He had bad days. And for some of you as Christians, you don't think you have the right to have a bad day. You have to walk into church and be like, hi, how are you doing? Fine, fine, how are you doing? Instead of like, I'm glad you asked. I had a three-hour quiet time to bring myself back up to mild depression. How are you doing? Like, oh, oh, okay. We don't always have to have it all together. But the thing is, is, Are we pulling our own stuff? Or are we partnering with him because we're supposed to be pulling his yoke? And there's a lot of stuff. But we need true biblical peace if we are to actually be in a position. Shalom. You ever hear this term? Shalom. I've heard it my whole life because if you grow grow up as a Christian, you hear the term shalom, and we translate it usually what? what? What do we usually translate it? Peace. That's wrong. That's not even close. That's not even what the word means. Many are familiar with the Hebrew word shalom or peace. The common Western definition of peace is the absence of conflict or war. But in Hebrew, it means so much more. Shalom is taken from the root word. I'm not even going to try to say it. My Hebrew is not that good. Whatever it is which means to be safe in mind, body, or essence. It speaks of completeness, of fullness, or a type of wholeness that encourages you to give back, to to be generous, to repay something in some way. True biblical shalom refers to an inward sense of completeness or wholeness. Although it can be described as the absence of war, a majority of biblical references refer to it as an inner completeness or tranquility. In Israel today, when you greet someone or say goodbye, you say shalom. You are literally saying, may you be full or well-being. May health and prosperity be upon you. If this is the way we understand biblical peace, then suddenly many of the verses take on a whole new meaning. What if, what if the way that we're seeing rest, we're thinking of no storms in our life whatsoever? 
Do you remember when Jesus was with his disciples in the boat? Uh, this happens a couple of times, but the, particularly the story where he was going across uh, to see the most demon-possessed person, Legion. And I find it fascinating that Jesus, if you look in context of the verse, he actually says that he took a pillow, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Jesus is like, what's that? I'm going to go talk to a demon-possessed guy with 2,000 demons? Better take a nap. You know what I'm saying? Like, even Jesus rested. So he takes a pillow, and he's in the boat, and he's laying down, and he's asleep. And these fisher boys, all of a sudden a storm comes and you know it's got to be a bad storm if fisher boys are freaked out because they're used to being on fish, fishing ships, you know, like so, or boats. So they're used to like storms. So if this one is freaking them out, you got to know it's not like, hey, it's like, ah. And so in that moment, they wake up Jesus and they're like, don't you care we're going to die? And Jesus just wakes up, looks at the storm, curses it, and then goes back to sleep. And talks about the fact that they lack faith. I was reading that one day when I was going through hell in my life, where my eye was twitching all the time, had panic attacks. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I had all that stuff was because I kept crying out to God to quiet the storms in my life. But what if he doesn't want you to live a lifestyle where the storms are quieted? What if instead he wants you to be like Jesus, where he was sleeping in the dang boat while the storm raged around him? What if instead of calming the storm, he wants you to get to a place in your life where you learn how to dance in the rain? Guys, that's on Pinterest. <laughs> That's where I get most of my theology. <laughs> That's really good there. You've been to Pinterest? What if instead of quieting the storms, he wants you to learn how to dance in the rain? I don't want to be okay only when everything in my life is okay. You know what I'm saying? I want to be in a place where even if the world is raging around me and there's all kinds of crazy, I'm like, ha ha. One day I was stuck in traffic. Just pretend that's ever happened to you. Have you been ever? Suck. And try. I was walking around the city for the last couple of days, and I would look on my, on my phone for directions, and it would be an 11-minute drive. I'm like, whoa, how, far to, how long to walk? They're like nine minutes. I'm like, whoa. okay, that says everything. And one day I was stuck in traffic, and I was just angry, man. Oh, I can't believe this stuck in traffic. Oh. Honking my horn at people just to let them know I love them. I love you, you know. <laughs> and God asked me this question. If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? And I thought about that. And I thought, you know what I'd do? I would sit in a room with my wife and kids the whole 24 hours. Maybe eat a steak or two. Bagogi, yeah. But I would sit with my family and I would love them and I would talk to them until the sun rose and I would say goodbye. And God's like, wow, that's sweet. I'm like, yeah, I know. And he goes, so you, if you had 24 hours to live, you would, uh, you'd sit with your family? I was like, yeah. And he said, look to your right. So I did and there's my wife sitting there in the car. He said, look in the back seat and my kids were in the car. And he's like, so you'd do this. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, this is what I do. 
He's like, so why are you so angry if this is the greatest thing that you can think of? And the answer, the answer comes from John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How much of your life are you giving to the devil? How much are you giving to him? See, if it's not him taking precious moments that could have just, hey, you're stuck in traffic, turn it into a worship time. Put on some music that's just, or just rest. Put on music that you like and just jam out. Be that crazy person in traffic where everyone else is screaming and they look in your car and you're having like your own concert, you know, like, <laughs> we're stuck. <laughs> you know? Or he causes you to have fear. If we worship God in faith, then fear is worship to the devil. Stop worshiping the devil. If we worship God in faith, then fear is worship to the devil. And what ends up happening, and I now realize, is that grace, grace is like an umbrella, Ella, Ella, A, 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 right? And it's like you have to stand under the umbrella. Rihanna was right. And as you're standing underneath that umbrella, the, the problem is, is oftentimes we start future tripping, man. We start worrying about tomorrow. We start worrying about our kids and we start worrying about all of this stuff. Here's the problem with that. Grace is for the now. It's not for the future. Grace only exists in our present. The present is a gift. That's why it's called a present. That's a dad joke right there. His, his grace is for now. Corey Tan Boone, I don't know, hopefully you know who she is. If not, she used to rescue people during, Jews during World War II. And she used to teach in the early days in YWAM. And she would say, grace, because she was very old then. Grace is like a train ticket. My father would not give me the ticket until the conductor walked up. And only then would he give me the ticket. And then she would say profound things like, you only know the strength of the anchor by feeling the stress of the storm. And you're like, <laughs> you're right. And so for so much of my life, God would have this umbrella of grace and I'd be like, yeah, but what about this over here? And the moment I step out of the umbrella, the moment I start worrying about a, a, a future that doesn't even exist and may never exist, all of a sudden, my heart is consumed, and I, my eye starts twitching, and I start having panic attacks, and Christians are like, how are you doing? I'm like, fine, how are you doing? <laughs> but inside, I'm like, ah. You cannot have peace if you're not dwelling with God, and God is not dwelling in the future. He is dwelling in your presence, and the problem is we stop living underneath that umbrella, Ella, Ella, A. Normally, when I give this analogy, I say to New York City, but I find myself standing in New York City. If you and I, pastor, were going to have a race from here to San Francisco, <laughs> and I gave you a one-week head start, and I said, you can have a week head start, but you cannot use any mode of transportation, even if it's offered to you. And I gave you a week head start, but then when I go, I could fly if I wanted to. Who would get there first? I would. Who would, be, who would be more rested when they arrived? I would. In other words, we oftentimes think that the best thing for us to do is to do it immediately. But even corporations like Google and all this stuff, they're shortening the work weeks and they're finding that they're getting greater productivity 
because there's something profound that happens. It's almost like it's biblical or something. It's something profound that you actually can do more when you rest more, when you enjoy your life more, when you live within shalom, an understanding of the fullness of your life. You're not just worried only about work because that someday your work will end. Invest into the things that are the most important, which is your family. We're, we, we work for a missions organization and all of our money that we get is through gener- generous donations from people. So we don't make a lot. And so for years, what would happen is I would never spend money on anything because I, I constantly felt like we can't afford it. We, just, we, just can't, we can't afford this. And God got a hold of me and started nailing my heart with some of this stuff. And he's like, you're going to spend money. You're going to go to the Oregon. You're going to rent a beach house. And I was like, I am not. He's like, you're, you're going to. And I felt like, and I went and I spent money that I was just like, this is, cra- like, wh- this is crazy. And I spent the money. And we walked into this. It was on the winter time, which then it's like way cheaper because nobody wants to go to Oregon coast in the winter because it's storms. But I don't care. Like you're in that warm house watching waves crash. I love it. So we're in this house, and my kids are just, gl- just glowing. They're running around the house. And I just thought to myself, why don't I do this more often? And so now my wife and I, we've made it a priority to figure out stuff that we can't afford, and we do it anyway. I'm not saying we put ourselves into debt. Don't hear that. I'm not saying we're, we're living out of debt. We're, we, we just make heavy sacrifices to make memories, not money. And the problem is, is oftentimes we keep thinking that we're going to make memories one day and then we end up never doing the stuff. Come on, guys. Don't get to the end of your life and have regret. If I got a tattoo, that'd be the one I'd get right across my back. No regrets. <laughs> Just have the E somewhere else, you know. <laughs> I'm like the only person in Portland that doesn't have a tattoo. We get caught up in the future tripping, man. Become the answer to your own prayer. A camel can only go through a desert for as long as it spends time at the oasis. It's got to get that water. What do you do for fun? What do you do for fun? Because God is interested in you just having fun. He's the life God. You want to read your Bible? Fine. You want to pray? Good. But you better have stuff in your life that you do that has seemingly no spiritual anything. You just do it because it's fun. And those times are equally, I would say, worship to God. The times you are laughing, he died so that you could have that kind of life. He's the life God. He wants you to have life and life more abundantly, life and life to the full. Yeah, let's do church, but let's also do picnics. Let's do church, but let's also do vacations and see the world that he spent six days making. Live in a way that you have no regrets. Jesus, before he died, did this amazing thing. He had communion. And the saddest part to me is that we have taken this sacred moment and we have made it so spiritual, so religious. Think about it. The last moments of his life, 
Yes, he said, take this bread and remember, take the wine and remember. But they were hanging out around a table. How Asian is that? They were just hanging out. That was the point. He wasn't preaching a sermon. He was sitting with his friends and he's like, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Hang out in remembrance of me. Enjoy life in remembrance of me. What if, what if part of what communion is about isn't just his broken body and isn't just a, a, an aspect of his blood? What if he's saying, guys, do you enjoy your life? Because if you don't enjoy your life, remember this. He paid an epic price to purchase you. The blood and death of a God. The question is not how much value do you have? That's how much value you have. The question is, how are you spending that which was paid for with such an epic price? And if you are wasting your life, then in a sense you are mocking the cross because you're, you're just wasting. It's like you give God your life and he's like, okay, th this is your life? Okay, and I pour it to the ground. Happy birthday, ground. He doesn't want to waste your life. He doesn't want to see you waste your life. How are you going to spend that which was paid for through such an epic price? Amen.